Hello, my name is Hajim. Thank you for joining me on this first episode of Conversations with Living Organ Donors. In this episode, I will be talking to Katri Hunter. She donated her kidney in 2015. I knew Katri because her kidney donation story was featured on the Washington Post, and it happened that she and I were donors at around the same time. When did you donate? December 9th. I donated December 10th. (laughs) In Georgetown, right? Yes, Georgetown in DC. Eventually, I saw you at the National Kidney Foundation Walk in 2016, where you were one of the speakers. I was not stalking you. (laughs) (laughs) So, Katri, thank you so much for letting me hang out with you. No problem. Happy to be here. So first, I'd like to know how you're doing a year and a half after donating one of your kidneys. Yep, life is back to normal, just as if nothing ever happened. I think that I went through some times last year where I was tired, and whether that was because I'm always on the go, and as you get older, you can't you know, be going, going, going all the time, or was it a side effect of the surgery? Possibly. Mm-hmm. But I think right around the one-year mark, I felt 100%. Um, but I would say that for the most part, throughout that's in hindsight, throughout the year, I didn't feel any different after the initial incision healed. Okay. Happy to hear that. Did you sometimes forget that you donated? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> People may not know this, but there are different kidney donation programs. When someone decides to donate a kidney, they could donate directly to a specific person or they could be part of a paired donation, also having a specific recipient in mind, or they could be altruistic donors, also known as non-directed donors. What kind of donation process program did you do? So I was part of a paired donation process. I initially got tested for a friend who was in need of a kidney and I was not a match, and Georgetown gave me the option to basically do a paired donation, which may be that I donate to someone who also has a donor who will then donate back to my recipient, or it could go into a larger chain. And I actually don't know that I ever had a conversation about I had a preference or I cared, but if I was willing to go into the paired kidney donation and then go into the larger system. Um, However, you know, I was open to any and all. So It ended up being that my kidney was donated to a gentleman just outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland, and his daughter donated on his behalf to someone else, and my recipient got a kidney from an altruistic donor in Indiana. So when the altruistic donor basically had become a match for him, Georgetown stepped forward and called me and said that they had found a really great match for him, and there was one date that it could happen and everyone had to agree to that date. So it really happened faster than expected because they had always said it was about a 30-day lead time. And I think it was about three weeks from mm-hmm. when I got the phone call to saying that December 9th was the day. Wow. So when you first put in your application, were you the first uh, to apply for your friend or were other people had other people put in applications? Um, I believe there were quite a few people that had started the process a year prior to our surgery. He had been part of a paired donation from a different friend who had donated to someone and that person's donor had donated. And the surgery did not go so well due to things that had nothing really to do with 
either of their health or the kidney. It was, you know, something completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. And so there were other people that had been in the process after that surgery did not work. Um, they had to wait a couple of months for the recipient to, his name is Clyde, to get better and sort of heal from the original surgery. And then probably in about March of 2015, they reached out to me and said, "If you know, am I still interested? Because I had started the process before and they had picked someone else. Oh, for the first time? Yeah. Okay. So I was sort of on hold in the system and then they started, I had never done any testing, just paperwork. So the testing started about March of 2015. Okay. Have you met or has Clyde met the altruistic donor? So he wanted to wait a year to find out, to reach out to her through the living donor coordinators because he was high risk and he had the first experience that didn't go so well. So he really wanted to make sure that, you know, the doctors were giving him two thumbs up on his health. So he reached out to her, it ended up being a her, around the one-year anniversary of mm -hmm. um, the surgery. And I think she had already no figured out, because of the article, who mm -hmm. her kidney had gone to. But they have been in touch, and I have since spoken to her as well. Oh, okay. And I have also met my recipient, had dinner with his family. Oh. And um, on our one-year anniversary, I had a drink with his daughter, who was also a donor in the chain. So... We okay. kind of keep in touch. There's the person at the end of there, you know, who she donated to, who I don't know, but I, you know, know, know that they're doing well. Okay. Yeah. How old is uh, the person you gave your kidney to? He's in his 80s. 80s? Yes. Wow. So he went through the University of Maryland because not all hospitals will do it for people that are of older age. So I didn't know that. He was very healthy and suddenly um, had this issue. So. Oh, was uh, yeah. this his first kidney transplant? Yeah, he had no history of kidney problems. And so he, from the beginning of being diagnosed with this issue and needing a transplant was very quick for him, just That's within awesome. a couple of months. Wow. So why did you decide to do it or to put in your application in the first place? Um, because I don't think I would have really been able to live with the guilt of not even trying. Mm -hmm. um, I think that people in my situation that are somewhat removed, you know, a little bit removed from the, you know, Clyde lives in another city and, you know, it's not something that you see every day, you know, his health deteriorating and stuff. I think that it's natural for people to hope that someone else gets picked. Mm, yeah. So you can do your due diligence and try to feel good about going through the testing. Um, but I think ultimately some people really want to be a donor and other people want to have tried. And I think that I was a person that wanted to try, mm -hmm. but I think the idea of it actually happening and doing the surgery, I would be lying if I said that that was exciting to me, like mm -hmm. the altruistic donor. I think she probably is an interesting person to talk to that she just wanted to donate a kidney and I just had someone in my life that I knew that needed one and I felt like I had to try to help mm -hmm. um, that it happened really fast and I didn't really feel like I could get out of it even though they tell you over and over again that you can decide not to do it at any time that's true do you remember the tests that they did on you um, just a lot of urine collection blood samples um, I know towards the end, they, they, they then did do ultrasounds on your kidneys, um, do an EKG, um, MRI, x-rays, time-consuming, but nothing um, invasive or uncomfortable. 
So um, earlier you told me that you're not allowed to give blood, <laughs> yeah. to donate blood, but right. I find it interesting that they will take your kidney. <laughs> yes, so I grew up in uh, the UK and England when mad cow disease was a problem, and in the US, I am not eligible to donate my blood because of that, and I don't know if it's changed recently, I haven't looked into it. But one of the first things I asked when I was going through the process was if this was going to be an okay. issue. And they said, no, absolutely not. So I can't donate blood, but I can donate a that's kidney funny. when it's direct. I guess when it's directed to someone, you know, oh, they, okay, that's true. You know, they, you're disclosing all of the health risks, but yeah. they test you for everything under the sun. So I'm sure if there was a way to test for that, they would have known. Were you a hypochondriac beforehand? No, no. <laughs> I think I was. And so when, after they did all the tests, I was a little bit disappointed that I was, <laughs> I had nothing to complain about. Yeah. I think after you get tested for everything possible and they tell you you're still a candidate, you sort of feel like you've had probably at least $10,000 worth of tests that you would never have done as That's a, true. you know, there's no way you would be that proactive. So I think that for me, part of the reason was that if you find out you're healthy after all of that, it's sort of your contribution is to go forward with it. Yeah. But if that's the only reason to get people in the door to get the tests done, then go get tested just to I find agree. out if you're healthy. <laughs> um, what was the day of surgery like? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember my, um, my parents, you know, I was... Um, I guess I was 33, and it was funny because as soon as I found out about it, the first thing that went through my mind, you know, I'm not married, I live in D.C., my family's in California, and I thought, well, I can't do it on December 9th. My parents are going on this once-in-a-lifetime trip to Africa. Who's wow. going to take care of me? They can't change their trip for this. And so it's sort of ridiculous in hindsight that that's what I was so worried about. I was really worried about telling my parents. I hadn't told anyone during mm. the process other than like two or three friends that I was getting tested. I really didn't want any unsolicited opinions about, you know, if it was crazy for me to consider this. So first thing was to tell my parents yeah. that this was going to happen. I mean, they I were, don't think it's crazy. You do want support yeah. because it's such a big surgery. But through the process, I didn't want anyone kind of chiming mm. in. So... First thing was to tell my parents that I was going to do it, and second was that it was going to be while they were on their trip, and of course they offered to cancel it, but mm. um, you know, I insisted that they didn't, and so I have a really great group of friends here in D.C., and so it was a good friend of mine that picked me up at you know 4.30 in the morning, because mm -hmm. I had to be there at 5.30 or so, and uh, Clyde and his sisters were there in the waiting room when I got there, but really I... they take you right into intake and all happened really fast and then um yeah it was kind of quick you know I just met with the anesthesiologist and mm. the surgeon showed me where the scars would be which I guess I hadn't even asked but I had googled that yeah. and I don't recommend that <laughs> because everyone has different scars depending on where they have it done okay so we probably have similar ones if we had similar surgeons but I know mm. that my donors recipient she they went directly through her belly button um, wow. No, I have three, let's see, three dots, I guess. Uh -huh. And then a line around my bikini oh, area. Oh, interesting. Because mine goes up from my belly button about oh. three inches. Mm -hmm. And then I have the two small laparoscopic oh, ones. Okay. So, so yeah, so I think that it went pretty fast. And then I will say that 
the most painful part of the surgery was when I woke up and mm-hmm. um, they tell you that you know you're gonna have these pains from the gas from when they yeah. inflate your stomach and that that's probably the most painful part and I woke up and another friend of mine had stepped in okay. you know during the surgery so someone was there when I woke up and I did have a lot of pain in my stomach and they encourage you to walk around to try yeah. to get that to move um, and do whatever you need to do to get the gas out. <laughs> you know, but, I had, did you have pain on your shoulder? Yes, because they say it okay. goes up with gravity up yeah. into your neck and shoulders, the gas. Um, and so I was complaining a lot about the, the pain in my stomach and my shoulders, and then the surgeon came to check in on me, and she said she just thought that I didn't have enough painkillers. It wasn't the gas. Because oh. I had specifically turned them down. I didn't want more painkillers. Mm-hmm. So she gave me a little bit of morphine. And after that, I really don't think I had much pain. So okay. it didn't last very long. It, but it was only when I when I woke up. Yeah. I thought they had broken my arm <laughs> during surgery. Yeah, it's a very strange feeling in it your is. neck. Oh, yeah. So you said you stayed in the hospital for how long? For two nights. So the surgery was Wednesday morning. And I was there Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then I was discharged Friday night. And I think that they typically would have probably wanted me to stay another night, um, but the hospital was really full and I was sharing a room and the other person was in a lot of pain waiting for surgery. So I think that they just felt that I was so uncomfortable being in a shared room with someone else that was uncomfortable. Was the other person also a donor or no, it was unrelated? unrelated. Oh, okay. She had, uh, had an accident and was waiting oh. for back surgery or something. So, um, yeah, so I think they sort of let me go a little mm-hmm. early because of that, but they were very understanding that yeah. I had been eating and all that stuff. Um, did you go back to work? How long did it take you to go back to work? Well, I was working <laughs> in, the, in the hospital on my laptop. <laughs> and then I was... I know that I wasn't supposed to drive, but I did drive for a client within a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do real estate. I work for myself. I can really work from anywhere. Um, luckily, it was December 9th, and really between Thanksgiving and New Year's is our quiet time. Oh, okay. So the timing was perfect. I stayed home for two weeks before I then flew home to my family in California mm-hmm. and was there for two weeks so my sister was pregnant and I was laying around on the couch. So we had a pretty relaxing holiday <laughs> were season you that year. There? They came back. Okay. Yeah, they were back. So we all sat around and didn't do much. But my sister did go into labor when no one else was home. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to buckle my nephew up in the car and drive my sister to the hospital. Oh, my God. But I couldn't do anything to help her, so I just dropped her off at the front door. It's okay. a good sister. <laughs> so, so did you share your story with the, your client when you guys were driving around? Um, they, it was a friend of mine that was okay. a client, and I didn't drive them. I drove just to meet them at a home inspection, and they oh, okay. thought it was crazy that I was there. Because yeah. I had a colleague of mine do it for me, but I just wanted to show up. I think yeah. I was bored out of my mind. Probably, <laughs> So yeah. they were surprised to see me, but... Um, yeah, I was sort of out and about pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that mentally, um, I think I was pretty okay, right? You know, right after the pain medications wore off. Mm-hmm. Um, physically, you still, I yeah, it, you could still feel the pain. Yeah, right for me, it was really just the incision. Mm-hmm. So anyone yeah. that's had a surgery where, you know, for me, it's 
vertically from my belly button. So anything you do that you use your abs, yeah, really, you oh, start to realize, true. you know, opening a stiff door or getting out of bed or yeah. anything. So that was really the recovery was waiting for that to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, more so than I didn't really feel it's like a weird thing because nothing's wrong with you right so it's not like a surgery where you have something fixed and then there's physical therapy and recovery it was just sort of wait for that to heal and yeah you know drink lots of water that's true the water although I couldn't concentrate for long periods of time I don't know if that happened to you oh no I not that I noticed yeah but interesting um, I was riding my horse within a month a month yeah I competed in January wow (laughs) is there a special category for (laughs) nope I just literally got back on the horse (laughs) how'd you do okay I mean it was good yeah that's awesome (laughs) what kind of research did you do if any before donating Uh, Well, my friend that had donated the year before, I spoke to her definitely Mm -hmm. about the recovery. Um, And then I have a friend who had donated to her niece a couple years prior. So she definitely gave me the warning about the gas feeling Mm -hmm. and that that was really the only pain. And that she, I think she had said she felt like 100% within 90 days Mm -hmm. um, that she was running, you know, the next month. Um, so I actually was fortunate enough. There was another guy I spoke to a little bit that I just happened to know that he had donated. So I knew enough people that Mm -hmm. I could actually have a real life experience to speak with rather than the internet, internet. (laughs) (laughs) which never is a good thing. And looking at bad scars. Right. Yeah. Um, when researching about living organ donation, I remember reading about some people getting depression after donating did anything like that happen to you? No. Um, I think that there's a lot of buildup over all the testing over a long mm-hmm. period of time and sort of the anxiety about whether it's going to work out, if it's going to be you, if after having it not worked once, which was tough, mm-hmm. um, you know, what happens if it doesn't work. And that's why I am such an advocate for the chain because, you know, obviously there were going to be other people that benefited from it if, you know, mm-hmm. the actual recipient didn't do well. Um, but no, I mean, I think that I had really gone into it sort of with a low expectation for him directly and just hoping that, you know, at least the chain gives him a better chance of having a better match. That's a good point. Um, but no, I didn't experience any of that. I mean, I think if anything, it's sort of one of those things that no matter what, it'll probably be one of the most proud things we've ever done in our life. So I think that that always was you know, a bigger deal to me than anything of those, any of those psychological side effects, mm-hmm. which I never really have yeah. experienced. So. Yeah, I had read that it's kind of like postpartum depression. Oh, really? Yeah, but luckily you I miss your kidney. Did you have a relationship probably. with it? <laughs> I had a name for it. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to spend anything out of pocket, did you? No, luckily the surgery was here. Um, Clyde, the recipient, lived lived and still lives in Boston, but he had specifically gone through Georgetown Transplant Center because he had lived here previously and a lot of his family is in the area. Mm-hmm. So I think that they figured there was a better pool of people to get tested at Georgetown mm-hmm. and his family was here for recovery. Um, so while there was also, you could go to Mass General in Boston to get tested if there was someone up there, mm-hmm. he was basically open to two markets. Okay. So he did have, you know, if he hadn't had a place to stay and stuff, he had the expense of 
flying here. Yeah. I don't know how they handle the recipient side, but I really didn't have any other than just getting myself to the hospital for the tests and the time that it takes to do all that. Yeah. What would the surgeons or doctors have had to say for you to back out of donating? Oh, that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. I think if they, well, one surgeon, <laughs> not my surgeon, one of the appointments I had a different doctor and I said, how long do you think it is before I can start riding my horse again? And he said, oh, I mean, what do you do? You just sit on it? I mean, in like a week. And so I laughed because obviously he didn't know the type of riding that I did. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got a variety of answers to that. I don't think that if someone t told me that I should never ride again, mm -hmm. I don't think that I would have not done it. Mm -hmm. But I definitely was looking for the right answer as to, I mean, you can't really try to not fall one way if you fall or... You know, I'm very careful to not be behind the horses. You know, no one wants to get kicked, but that's probably the highest risk of mm -hmm. being in a situation where I could have impact on the remaining kidney. Um, so I think if there was something really about my life that would have changed, whether it was I couldn't work out anymore or I couldn't fly mm -hmm. anymore or honestly, if they had told me that I couldn't eat certain things or probably drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. I think that those would have been really big considerations, but mm -hmm. you know, they're very kind of upfront and honest and saying yeah. it's not really going to change anything. Yep. Um, so as much as probably the doctors don't want to hear that, those kinds of things that yeah. maybe, you know, you should be a little bit more careful about, but at the end of the day, I think that you're probably just as likely to get hit by someone on a bike right in the wrong place than, yeah. you know, not anything you can avoid. So probably like, you know, any just major lifestyle changes, mm -hmm. but I probably wouldn't have gotten to that point if I had known That's that true. it was going to really have a big impact. And I always knew that it was like, why don't more people do this? It really mm -hmm. doesn't affect your life. So yeah. I don't, I understand why people don't want to have elective surgery for something that's not wrong. But at the same time, I've had people say, oh, I've considered it, and I'll jump on that in a second and say there's no reason you shouldn't do it, you mm -hmm. know, unless you just can't. Yeah. So what kind of horse riding do you do? Jumping, so oh, English, okay. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have seen pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, how is the recipient doing? Good, very good. Um, I think all his levels have stabilized and stuff. Uh, mm. He had FSGS, I guess we'll always have. So there was always a risk that the disease would take over the new kidney. So I think that's why he really wanted to wait that year to reach out to the recipient in case, you know, things weren't going well. And I always mm. told him that it really didn't have anything to do with how his health was going forward. I always thought that the altruistic donor should know that the surgery went well and it went to a young, healthy person that at mm -hmm. least is stopping him from being on dialysis, even if it's not forever. Yeah. So I'm glad they were able to get in touch. I would have liked for it to be sooner, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, he'll always be at risk, but you know, for now mm -hmm. this is, you know, he was on dialysis before. So anything but dialysis is better, even if it's not going to be for the rest of his life, certainly yep. for the immediate future. That's true. How are you doing? Good. No complaints. I'm trying to work more with the National Kidney Foundation and 
raising awareness about living donors. Um, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. And so I'm starting to get more involved with them and um, try to, you know, kind of be supportive and get out there and try to get involved in their peer program and helping other people that are in need of a kidney try to f- kind of network to their, you know, to their own network as to, you know, try to help people. It's not an easy thing to ask for. Yeah. So I'm trying to get more involved in having, you know, being a resource for people that need kind of guidance on how to ask for those things. And I recently had someone say, Oh, I have a friend whose dad really needs a kidney, but really doesn't wants to be very private about it. And I'm giving my phone number. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't be private about it at all. I mean, it's a very difficult thing to ask, but if Clyde hadn't been public about it, it did end up being people that were close to him and knew the situation. But there Mm -hmm. were a lot of people that didn't know him. And because of, you know, social networking and stuff that did look into donating. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, So I'm doing good and trying to kind of pay it forward too and do more, you know, of this kind of stuff as well. Cause I'm a big proponent. I think that I'm much happier that I did it than Mm -hmm. all the other side effects. Yeah. You? Same. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You get to see it every day. I do. And it's like you were saying, it's um, better than being on dialysis. I Uh mean, this, even though, my husband and I are just, you know, maybe doing nothing during the week and just he goes to work, I go to work, come home, we eat dinner. You know, it's kind of a boring life, but it's, you know, much better than uh-huh. losing hours, him sitting on dialysis and coming home tired. And But like you were saying earlier, I think that being part of a chain makes a, a bigger impact. So if I had to do it again, yeah, would you I would, do a chain? I, I think at first I would be hesitant, mm-hmm. but then knowing what I know now that a lot more people can get helped and James could potentially get an even better match, yeah. then yeah, a chain would have been a good, good way to go. Yeah. And but no regrets. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important that on the selfish side for the donor to remember that the chain sort of protects you from the possibility of failure in some ways that if it doesn't work, there's probably, you know, if the other two people in the chain had done really well and this, you know, my recipient had it, I still think it would have been easier to stomach than just a direct donor that had, you know, complications. That's true. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Yeah, this is great. And any questions, uh, I don't know how people can get in touch with you, but you can, Feel free to send them my way. Thank you. And thank you for listening. On the next episode, I will talk with Anthony Henderson about his organ donation experience. He donated a kidney to his biological father after having been estranged for many years. Unfortunately, his father passed away a couple of years after the transplant. Also, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show that I volunteer for the American Living Organ Donor Fund, a nonprofit organization that helps living organ donors in the U.S. make their donation as stress-free and cost-neutral as possible. If you're considering donating an organ or have donated in the past, please join the American Living Organ Donor Fund closed Facebook group. There you can connect with other donors and others considering donating an organ. This group is only for donors and people considering donation. And if you guys have any comments about this podcast or questions you would like to ask a living organ donor, please send an email to director at 
dclivingorgandonors.org. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>